Welcome to Love the Valley Sunday. Um, if you haven't done this with us before, um, let me tell you, this is a church has left the building kind of Sunday. Um, and I say that because right after worship, uh, just, just in a few minutes, we've got all sorts of activities uh, that we planned out for the church to share the love of Christ. Legacy is going to be coming. Our, our legacy site is going to be coming in and joining us for uh, this afternoon. And uh, we've had to make a few changes as a result of the weather. But um, let me just give you a list. We are moving to a canned food, food drive. Um, we're going to be sorting all sorts of kids' clothing uh, we've got a team out that's going to be clearing all the brush out in our, our, uh, our land, our property right out here, so people can see our Bozeman site doing some wood clearing. We've got three different teams going into our valley to do furniture moving. Um, imagine if you are a tenant uh, and your landowner says, Whew, those prices are looking good. Um, I need you out by the end of the month, and you've just been barely making rent. How are you going to pay to move in this town called Bozeman? And so uh, there are many, many families that Love Inc. has lined up for us uh, to serve. Um, also, we're going to have teams. My family is going to uh, uh, join with others at uh, many grocery stores this morning where we're going to be asking people to give to the Love Inc. care closet. And uh, so we've got a, a ton of, uh, of activities planned. If you have not signed up um, and you want to jump in, let me just say this to you. We still have room for you. In fact, we have plenty of room. We've got all kinds of t-shirts. Uh, our team made extra lunches just for you. All you got to do is show up, uh, find me, Brian, or Darcy right after worship, and we'll get you plugged right in. But, um, but with that, this morning, we're going to take a break from our series on King Solomon. And instead, I want to talk about why a Sunday like this exists in the first place. Because this isn't, uh, this isn't something that we want to do once a year um, and sort of pat our backs and, and go on. Um, the idea is that this Sunday would become like a lifestyle. And so I want you to turn your Bibles with me if you would. We're going to turn to Matthew's Gospel and we're going to jump into chapter 5 and look at verses 13 to 16. Brian already gave us a good preview. And I want to talk about salt and light today. Salt and light. So let's open Matthew 5, verse 13 through 16, and let's see what God's word has to say to us this morning. Hear now the word of the Lord. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let me ask you, um, what was your nickname growing up? And what was the story behind that name that you were given? In my early years, elementary school, we used to play neighborhood football pickup games just as school got back into session. And we would jump off the bus, we'd drop our backpacks off at home, and, and we'd go running down the street, and the game was on. And I remember one evening, uh, we were locked in this intense matchup as the sun was going down. It was our cul-de-sac versus the western cul-de-sac. And just as the game came to a tying score, the porch lights went on, which means what? Two-minute warning, right? Mom's calling you home for dinner. 
So someone called last play. The ball snapped. My older brother threw a Hail Mary down the field. I had my eyes locked into it. I knew this was our night. And then I tripped. And I did this Superman into this involuntary dive roll. I remember the ball hit me in the face, bounced back up into the air. I grabbed it with one hand, jostled it right into the end zone, pigskin in hand. And the crowd went wild. <laughs> this is my story, so as I remember it, they hoisted me on their shoulders. <laughs> and someone yelled out, call him Miracle Whip. And from that point on, I was nicknamed after mayonnaise in my neighborhood. <laughs> what was your nickname for, for better or for worse? And what story comes with it? See, here's what I love about a good nickname, right? Embedded in that name is something about who you are. And I've got us thinking in that lane, right? Because in our passage this morning, Jesus gives us a name. Do you notice that? In fact, he gives us two names. He says, whoever you were before you met me, whatever identity you thought you had before me, I now have a new name for you. This is how Jesus phrased it. He said, you are now salt and light. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You know what struck me as I studied this passage yet again this week, and maybe you're like me, you've heard this a hundred times over. But this is super important, right? Jesus didn't say uh, you should be like a light. He didn't say you should be salt. No, he said, if you follow me, this is now who you are. You are now salt and light. Anyone make it to the homecoming parade yesterday? Like all I heard all morning at that parade was go cats go, right? The high school bands all left their cheers behind and they're playing the MSU fight song. We had the privilege of standing next to a gentleman who played all the way back in 1966. He was wearing a, a Big Sky Championship uh, jacket that looked quite vintage and I, I said to him, I said, man, you have stories to tell, don't you? And he sure did. He and his wife still drive down for every single Bobcat football game from Kalispell to Bozeman whenever there's one at home because he's the ball boy. See, he explained to me, you know, if you are a, a member of Montana State, no matter how long you go back, if you are a student or if you are an alumni, you now consider yourself what? A Bobcat for life, right? Much to the chagrin of our Grizzly fans, you now bleed blue and gold. And if that's how it plays with, with sports fans, right, then it's, it's infinitely more with Christ. Jesus says, if you follow me, you are by your new nature salt. If you live into the salvation that I've given to you, you are by your new identity light. It is the fabric of our being. It's a part of who we are. When you walk out the door on any given morning, right, all the way to when you lay your head down on the pillow at night, if your life is in Christ, you are now salt and light. This is not just something you do. This is who you are. But I think with all nicknames, we should ask, like, how did we get that title? Of, of all the elements, all the things Jesus could have picked out in the air, why did he pick these two? We discussed this passage at length in our elders meeting earlier this week, and I loved hearing the unique perspectives on this. Such, 
collective wisdom at the table. And here's a few thoughts that stuck out. You know, if you think about it, you go back to the time of Christ, those two things, as Brian said, represent life, right? Without salt, you got no food, and without light, you can't see. The most valuable aspects of your day, the most vulnerable parts of who you are were sustained and preserved by salt and light. Salt was the only thing you had to keep your food from perishing. Light, just think of how black the night was. Imagine that your lantern goes out somewhere on the road between Jerusalem and Galilee. Where do you get your next light source? You're up a creek. See, Jesus was saying something I think quite insightful with these two names. And still today, salt and light by their very nature affect everything about our being. Let's, 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 just, let's look at this. Let's focus at salt for a minute. Let's take sodium chloride. Just consider what your life would be without salt. If you're like me, probably a lot healthier. No, but our meat, right? Our fish, vegetables, fruit, butter, cheese, salt is in everything. It's a main ingredient of our day. You know, to, to be salt means that we've been charged, though, more than just enhancing the day. We've been charged with preserving something. Our salty nature as God's people is, is meant to preserve the faith. When we study his timeless word, when we live that word out, when, when we learn to speak it as second nature, when, when others see us serving Christ, see something different in us, we change the room. One scholar, Leon Morris, he said it like this. Look at this. He said, our power in the world lies in our difference from it. See, salt by its very nature is that which is different from the medium into which it's sprinkled. Which means it's, it's not just a preservative, it's, it's that which enhances life. Look at this in Colossians 4, 6. Paul explains it like this. He says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Again, I can't overstate this enough. You're not just called to be like salt. You are salt. Salt can't help but be salty. The, the irony of this passage is that there's, there's no such thing as saltless salt. Again, verse 13, Jesus says, if salt loses its taste, like how will it ever be restored? It's, it's not salt anymore. It's a bit of a head scratcher, but I think there's really no gray area here, right? You're either salt and you're in Christ or you're not. Sodium chloride, by its very makeup, it can't lose its taste. Chemically speaking, that's impossible. Sure, it can be watered down, diluted, it can get clumpy over time, but I think this is the lesson. For those of us in Christ, this is who we are. You are the salt of the earth. Now, let's be honest, right? Salt is also that which corrodes. If you've ever been to the beach, you know that too much salt mixed into the, the soil kills plants. But let's not overthink it, right? That's not the image. Jesus says salt, just as salt exists to season and transform your dinner, so you exist now to season and transform the world. This should be a word of encouragement to us, right? I think so often we forget just how simple the mission is. But what would change about your day if, if as you awoke, that idea of salt was the first thing you thought about? What if the first thing that came to your mind Monday was not, oh, geez, I got to get to the gym or we got to get the kids to school or, ah, oh, I forgot about that meeting. 
But what if you started your day thinking about how God gave you this unique name as salt of the earth? How would that change the way you live? See, because salt really does one thing, right? And it's excellent at it. It makes life better. One scholar said it like this. He said this. He said, there's something about the way Christians are, about the way that they live together and talk about each other, about the way they relate to not always friendly surrounding world that is meant to catch the world's attention, that is to cause people to ask, who are these people? See, and yet the challenge, I think, for today's church is, is that we do such a better job of blending in rather than standing out and standing up. Salt was never meant to hide in the background. Salt affects everything. You know, in today's culture, um, in today's context, uh, we're told that your identity is in anything else, really, right? It's, it's in what you do. It's what you own. Your identity is found in your material life. And your preferences, I buy, therefore I am. I work, therefore I am. I'm an executive of this company. I'm an influential entrepreneur. I, I wear certain brands of clothing to mark my preferences. I, I run credit cards and feel rooted again. See, but Jesus says, no, 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 scratch all of that. Your identity really is secure in two things and two things alone. No matter what you do, no matter where you go, you are now salt and light. This is why we have midlife crisis, or I should say three-quarter life crisis when you're retired and you're wondering, well, now who am I? You're still salt. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom and your kids are now full-time in school and you're thinking, now what? You're still salt. Maybe you have a solid job and you hate it and you can't stand the fact that Monday's coming tomorrow and you're already dreading the, the first minutes of, of jumping back in. What if God had you in that place to be salt and light? See, let's talk about light for a minute, right? This is the most well-known metaphor in our faith. Would you agree? Like everything that I'm about to say, pretty sure you've heard it before. Jesus said he is the light of the world, right? And as, as the light of the world, you have the light, and therefore you are a city that cannot be hidden. Again, it's one of the most overused phrases in our country, it was the opening line of the Republican debate just this week. You are a city lit up on a hill. See, the odd part is, though, like that phrase has somehow shifted into politics. And we don't think about the church when we think about a city on a hill. We think about America. John Winthrop, back in 1630, he first used this phrase to encourage his fellow Puritan citizens. He said this, and I quote, We must always consider that we shall be as a city upon a hill, the eyes of all people are upon us. JFK stole the speech in 1961. Ronald Reagan on the eve of his election, 1980, used it the same. Barack Obama, commencement address, 2006. See, but when Jesus coined that phrase, he didn't mean America. What he meant was the church. See, this is who we are, right? Just as salt exists to be salty, light by its very nature shines. Here's how it all started. Look at this in John 8, 12. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 12, 35, Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. See, we are light because he is light. And because he has given us this light, 
We are called to steward it for the glory of God. Like just consider, no light bulb in the history of light bulbs ever said to the light switch, you know what, I don't feel like turning on today. Right, you flip that switch, you pull that cord. If it's a light bulb, it's gonna turn on. Because the moment that it doesn't, what happens? It ceases to do its thing. It ceases to be a light bulb. It's dead. It's worthless. Mission's over. See, light by its very nature illuminates. Just imagine how audacious, how, how insane those words must have sounded when Jesus first said them. You got a relatively small crowd gathered up on the Sea of Galilee, in the rural countryside, and Jesus said, you are the light of the world. This isn't hyperbole, right? This was the plan. Like a city on the hill, the entire world will, still see, will soon see me through you. I loved hearing this thought this week. I shared it at our Bible study, and that is that if you go to space, right, light is everywhere. Light's invisible, but when you finally see light, you see it because it hit the object. See, then it shines. Just consider what the light of the gospel has done since Jesus said those crazy words. Small crowd in the middle of nowhere. Over centuries, millions of people have now carried that light of Christ into a world lost in darkness. Just think about it. Paul, Peter, Constantine, Augustine, Gutenberg, Luther, Calvin, Spurgeon, Edwards, Bonhoeffer, C.S. Lewis, Martin Luther King, Kierkegaard, Washington, Lincoln, Corey Ten Boom, Billy Graham, Sproul, Keller, and the list goes on and on. Do you know what I love though most about the light? Most of the names we will never know. All we know is that as that light flickers, it gives light to everyone in the house. Jesus calls us light. Look at this in Ephesians 5.8. Look at how Paul explains this years later to the church. He says, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk then as children of the light. In the same way, Jesus says, let your light shine before others so that they might see your good works and give God glory. See, I think it's worth a quick analysis. What shadows in your life need to be extinguished by that light? Where are you still hiding in the darkness? Where has your witness been hampered as a result of you keeping the light that you are under a basket? Isaiah 60, 1 3, I love this passage. It says this Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. See, when the Holy Spirit moves in on a person's life and illuminates them to Jesus Christ, that light now shines upon them. And as a light, you have one job. Light can't help but shine. Philippians 2, 14 through 15 says this, so do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. See how consistent this is? See, it's interesting. When Jesus talks about lighting a lamp, the words are in present tense. It's, it's as if he wants to paint this picture of this daily practice of, of lighting that wick. 
And Jesus said it would be absurd to light a lamp and then cover it over. So it is insane to have the gospel of Jesus Christ and keep it to ourselves. This is a mandate of who we are. I shared last week at our men's retreat, Jesus said it in every gospel, including the book of Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. He said, go into all the earth and be my witness. See, this concept, it's so vital to who we are. Jesus changed our name. You are now salt and light. Remember the name Lee Strobel in his famous book, Case for Faith, and all the ones that came after that? Lee started out as a, an atheist, or you might say somewhat of an agnostic, later turned Christ follower. And as a journalist, um, he sort of saw his life as telling someone else's story. He had heard about this man named Jesus, but he sort of saw Jesus as, as someone else's tale. One of the seeds that was planted early on in Strobel's life began with his time working at the Chicago Tribune. And he said he'd been given this holiday assignment to report on inner city poverty leading up to Christmas. And as a part of this investigation, he met the Delgado family. 60-year-old Perfecta and her two granddaughters, Lydia and Ginny. The Tribune had wanted him to raise awareness of need in the city. And so this is, this is what Strobel wrote. I won't have this part on the screen, but just close your eyes and just listen to what Strobel's witness was in this family. Listen to this. He said the Delgados had been burned out of their roach-infested tenement and were now living in a tiny two-room apartment on the west side. As I walked in, I couldn't believe how empty it was. There was no furniture, no rugs, nothing on the walls, only a small kitchen table and a handful of rice. That's it. They were virtually devoid of all possessions. In fact, get this, the 11-year-old Lydia and 13-year-old Jenny owned only one short-sleeved dress each plus one thin gray sweater between them. When they walked the half mile to school through the biting cold, Lydia would wear the sweater for one part of the distance and then hand it to her shivering sister who would wear it the rest of the way. Despite their poverty and the painful arthritis that kept Perfecta from working, she still talked confidently, he said, about her faith in Jesus. She was convinced he had not abandoned them. Lee said, I never sensed despair or self-pity in her home. Instead, there was a gentle feeling of hope and peace. So Lee goes on in the busyness of the season. He's finished his assignment. He publishes the article, moves on without giving it a second thought. But come the day of Christmas Eve, he was miserable. He was working right through the holidays. He couldn't help but stop th continue thinking about the Delgados. And he said he kept thinking, how was this woman so destitute and yet so happy? So this is what he said. He said, I continued to wrestle with the irony of the situation. Here was a family that had nothing but faith and yet seemed happy. While I had everything I needed materially but lacked faith, and inside I felt empty and barren as their apartment. So Lee goes back. It's now Christmas Eve day. He wants to see how they're doing. And he finds that his article had spurred on the city to overwhelmingly bless his family. Stacks of new presents, furniture everywhere, rugs, appliances, bags of cash for this family. Lee said you would have thought that that would have shaped him right there in that moment, right? But he said, that's not the part that changed me. He said, what blew my mind is that as I walked in on this eve of Christmas, Perfecta and her grandkids are boxing up almost all of what they had been given to give away to their neighbors in need. 
Lee asked Perfecta, he said, why? Perfecta said, Lee, we did nothing to deserve this. It's a gift from God. And she said, don't you realize this isn't even the greatest gift? She said, we celebrate that tomorrow. What's your nickname? And what's the story that comes with it? Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Please hear me. This isn't something we do. This this isn't a one Sunday a year thing. This isn't a chore list or a to-do list. This is who we are. And as we live into that, right, the idea, Jesus says, is that our good works, our light and our salt would be seen by others so that they would come to give glory to the Father too. And so the charge for us this morning is whether you go out the doors and you do canned goods or you chop up wood or you go do some personal care items collections or you sort clothes for kids or maybe you go do your own thing. It doesn't just happen in the next two hours. Our lives are salt and light because Jesus named us salt and light. Salt is salty. Light shines. Shines in the darkness. The darkness will never overcome it. This week, let's ask God to help us in the identity that he's called us of being salt and light. Will you pray with me? God, it's so simple a kindergartner can understand it. And yet, Lord, we, we confess, we forget that this is our identity. This is who you have made us to be. This is what you have nicknamed us. And so, Lord, we, we ask that you would forgive us for those times where we have failed to shine bright. Lord, where the, the salt that we are has become diluted where we've been distracted in our own goals and our own life plans and our own ways. God, would you reorient us back to an eternal perspective? Or would you help us to remember that as we go about these days, that we would live each moment for you? God, that we would do good works so that others would see the light, that others would taste salt and they would bring glory to the Father who is in heaven. Lord, help us to do that this week. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen.